Happy Father's Day. I appreciate all of you dads in a, in a culture and society that doesn't value parents and family and dads. Maybe in particular, I just want to honor each dad here. In a, in a world where fathers often aren't present, I thank you for being a dad who is present with your kids. And uh, what an honor it is to be here with you. And I honor you in the name of Jesus. We learn a lot from people about, about people from their prayers. If you've ever been in a prayer meeting and you hear people pray, you learn something about them. You learn something deeper than just on the surface. Even more, if we were able to secretly tape, record someone's private prayers, we would gain, gain a ton of insight into the interior life of that person. What's important to them? What motivates them? What's on their heart? Here in John 17, we see the interior heart of Jesus. This entire chapter, John 17, is Jesus Christ praying to the Father. And it is amazing. This chapter is right before Jesus is going to be betrayed and tried and unjustly condemned and murdered on a cross. And he spends his final moments praying. What's even more amazing is that Jesus, after he gave himself for our sins once for all and dealt with our sins perfectly, after he did that, he rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and there, right now, he intercedes for us. He prays for us. He continues his prayer ministry on our behalf. So what we see here in John 17, I think, is what we would see if we could peer into heaven and see Jesus at the right hand of the Father continuing to intercede for us. Hebrews 7.25 puts it this way, that Jesus always lives to make intercession for those who draw near to God through him. So have you drawn near to God through Christ? There's, really, there's only one way, right? There's, it's not like you can't draw near to God on your own terms. You can draw near to God freely on his terms. Have you done that? Have you trusted in Christ so that you are drawing near to God? You have drawn near to God through Jesus and what he has accomplished. If you have, if that's your standing before God, then you have confidence that Jesus is praying for you. You and I, because we have the scriptures, we are the massive beneficiaries of those who are given the privilege of eavesdropping into this prayer between Jesus and the Father. Jesus offers up his prayers to the Father, and there were 11 guys with him, and John thankfully recorded it for us. And we get to hear what is on Jesus' heart. We get, a clear, we get to hear what he prayed, and I, again, I believe we get to hear, we get a sense of how Jesus still prays for us. What's on his heart? What's important to Christ? What's going on deep in his heart concerning you and I as his people? Now, it's obvious that if there's anyone whose prayers would always be answered, it's Jesus, right? 
Could you imagine Jesus coming to the Father and making a request and the Father saying, Son, apparently you just don't understand my plan. Or, Jesus, you got to check your motives, buddy. Never. Jesus knows the Father's will and plan perfectly. And Jesus has no sin that would cloud his motives like our motives are clouded so often in our prayers. And so what Jesus prays is well worth our careful attention. And we can have confidence that what he prays here has been and is being answered. In fact, what he prays, I would suggest that we start praying. This is one of those prayers, there's lots of them in the Bible, we can just take verbatim and make our prayers. God likes the prayers he's inspired and put in the Bible, right? So this is one of those prayers, I would ask you, if for nobody else, would you pray this for me? And I suggest you pray it for yourself, and your spouse, and your kids, and us as a church. We're going to look at just three verses, and what we see is stunning. Jesus prays for what only God can do. And isn't that what prayer is? When we come to God, we are not, we're not asking God to do what we could do on our own. We're seeking for God to do what only he can do. Deep in the massive, loving heart of Christ, he wants what is best for us even if we don't want what's best for us sometimes. And what Jesus wants and what he expresses in this prayer and what he cries out to God for, the Father for, is that we would be changed at the deepest level of our being. Is that deep within there would be transformation, change happening. We see it in this one request. Father, Sanctify them in the truth. Father, sanctify them in the truth. And we know that Jesus isn't just praying for the group of disciples that were with him in the same room with him. It wasn't like you saying, sanctify these guys right here in the truth. We know that because in verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, he had, this prayer is not only for his original disciples who followed him, but also for everyone all throughout the history of the church who would believe in Jesus through their word. Charles Spurgeon, preaching on this one verse, said, How invaluable must the blessing of sanctification be? When our Lord, in the highest reach of his intercession, cries, sanctify them. In the in sight of his passion, on the night before his death, our Savior lifts his eyes to the great Father and cries in his most plaintive or sorrowful tones, Father, sanctify them. Jesus prays that we would be sanctified that we would be transformed, that we would be set apart for God's purposes. Sanctify is not a word that we use very often. In fact, some here might be thinking, what does that word even mean? To sanctify means to separate or to set apart for an important purpose. 
Um, we could, you could say it means to dedicate or to make holy. Um, PBS aired a documentary in 2015 in which they visit 23 different American military cemeteries in eight countries from World War I and World War II. In these cemeteries, the remains of 125,000 American soldiers lie. And another 94,000 American soldiers' names are written on walls of the missing. The documentary is entitled, Hallowed Grounds. Or we might say, Sanctified Grounds. Or Holy Grounds. Or Dedicated Grounds. Because the grounds of these cemeteries, they belong to the United States of America. The United States maintains them, cares for them, and they are dedicated for this purpose of the remains of those who died in World War I and World War II overseas in those countries. Jesus wants you and I to be set apart or dedicated or sanctified for God's purposes. In other words, Jesus wants us to not be our own anymore. And he wants us to know that, that we are not our own anymore. We see what the holy purpose is for which Jesus prays that we would be sanctified in verse 18 when Jesus continues. He's speaking to the Father. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So Jesus prays that God would earmark us or stamp us as belonging to him and his purposes and not ourselves anymore. And why? So that as Jesus sends us into the world, we would represent him well. So Jesus prays, sanctify them. And this sanctifying work is by means of the truth. Or as Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Now, if it's the truth that sanctifies us or dedicates us or sets us apart for God, truth must be more than merely disseminating information. Right? That we can kind of put in our brains and recall sometimes. It must be more than that. And it must be more than just being a recipient or receiving facts about true things. The truth must have dynamic power to change us. And it does. Jesus says in John 8.32, the truth sets free. Right? He says, you will know, if, you're, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is no freedom apart from truth. There is there's no freedom apart from truth. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance of the truth is not bliss. It leads us into enslavement and bondage because it is the truth that sets us free. So, this leads to an important question. What is it about the truth? What is it about truth that gives it this power to change us at such a deep level? And I want to look at three things. First, what, first I want to look at what truth is. Second, I want to look at what the truth points to. And third, 
I want to look at the help that we have in understanding the truth. So what the truth is, what the truth points to, and the help that we are given so that we can understand the truth. So first, what the truth is. What is truth? What is the truth? After Jesus requests for the Father to sanctify us in the truth, he honors his Father whom he loves so much by saying, your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth, Father. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. What God speaks is truth, and God's words have power. What God speaks is truth, and God's words have power. Do you remember the opening words of the entire Bible? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the waters, and the Spirit hovered over the waters. And then it says, it begins this theme, and God said. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Nothing, a formless and void world with nothing, obeyed the voice of of Almighty God. His words are powerful. And we look through the creation account in Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, and we see God spoke in days 1 through 6, and as he spoke, things were created. God created everything out of nothing with his words. And Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's words are powerful. I find it fascinating that Jesus doesn't simply say God's word is true, which would be true, but he says your word is truth. God's word is truth. For the Christian, God's words are the standard, the watershed, the benchmark of truth. Now, we live in a world that is very hostile to truth. Have you noticed that? Any claims to truth or absolute truth is met with snarls and smirks and maybe worse. We live in a world with millions of opinions. People like opinions, right? And everyone is apparently equally valid. Opinions, opinions, opinions coming at us from a hundred directions every day. Opinions on the television, opinions on the radio, opinions on social media. Oh my goodness, on social media. Opinions everywhere. Opinions might be helpful when we're talking about eating better, exercising. And other things, Pam. But opinions, opinions have little power to change us deep within. In fact, no power to change us deep within at the level Jesus is praying we would be sanctified. Truth does. Not opinions. God's word is truth. Psalm 119, 160 
says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. If you want a heightened view of God's word, can I just suggest something? Read Psalm 119 every week for the rest of the year. Just a suggestion. And we know that the scriptures are God's words, right? We don't need to wait for some special message from God to come through the clouds or through our own intuition. We hear the voice of God speaking through the scriptures. Did you know that? We, God speaks through the scriptures. He didn't just one time speak. He speaks Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God. All of scripture. Now for Paul, that meant the Old Testament and probably a few books that were considered scripture when he wrote this. All scripture is breathed out by God. It is God speaking. It doesn't say it was breathed out by God. It says it is breathed out by God. Therefore, what the Bible says God says. Not what the Bible said, says God said one time, but God says. So what is truth? God's word is truth. Build your life on truth and not mere opinions. Second, what does the truth point to? So what is truth? Truth. What, the, what is truth? It's God's word. What does the truth point to? What is its aim? Truth doesn't merely unpack facts for us, but here's what it does. It points us to a person, namely Jesus Christ. It doesn't, it doesn't mainly point us to ourselves or individual heroes throughout the Bible, the main aim of the scriptures, of God's truth, is to point us to a person, is to point us to Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus says to a group of religious leaders in John 5.39. About six or seven years ago, this verse really impacted the way I read the Bible since then. Here's what Jesus says. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Now Jesus is talking, of course, there there was none of the New Testament written when Jesus was talking to the the Pharisees at this time. All there was was Old Testament. And Jesus said, You guys, look at the scriptures. You search diligently. You are passionate about looking through the scriptures and memorizing and studying. And yet, they point to me. And you reject me. The point Jesus makes is clear. They study the scriptures, but they missed its essence. They missed Christ. They missed the one that the scriptures were pointing to. Jesus says, I stand before you of whom all scripture points and you reject me. Now, I think Jesus alludes to the truth aiming at him in our text this morning. 
and verse 19. Verse 19 says this, And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. So, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me, I send them. And then, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. The word consecrate has the same meaning as sanctify, essentially, in verse 17. So what Jesus is saying is, Father, I set myself apart to do your will. I dedicate myself completely and fully to you to do what you've called me to do. And on the night that he was betrayed, the meaning is clear. The will of the Father was for Jesus to readily go to the cross, however horrifying the prospect was. And we know that Jesus saw it as horrifying. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross was before him. And Luke, Luke's account says he was so distraught, he was sweating drops of blood. In Matthew, I think it's Matthew's account, maybe it's Mark's, I'm not, I can't remember, I guess. It says, he told his disciples, I am so distressed to the point of death. But Jesus says, I consecrate myself for their sake that they may be sanctified in the truth. This was for our sake. For our sake. Jesus stared down the cross. Jesus walked the road to Calvary. Jesus did it. Jesus willingly did it. Jesus did it. It even says for the joy that was set before him, he did it. And he did it for our sake. Jesus had us in mind. Not just the 11 that were with him in the room when he prayed this, but all those who would believe in him because of their word. Jesus was motivated by his deep ocean of a heart of love for us. For every true Christian, Galatians 2.20 can be our affirmation where Paul says, He loved me and gave himself for me. When you consider the cross, when you consider Christ suffering and dying on the cross, bearing the judgment of God, taking upon himself sin, though he never sinned. Do you see his love for you in giving himself up for you? And the purpose for which Jesus did this, right? He, he did it for, our, for their sake, for our sake. And the purpose for which Jesus did this was that we would be sanctified in the truth. Right? Jesus says, for their sake, I consecrate myself. And then he says, that they may be sanctified in the truth. The word that shows us the purpose. The purpose for which he consecrated himself was that we would be sanctified in the truth. The truth that sanctifies is the truth of the gospel, which leads us to the provision of God's transforming grace in Christ. 
So the truth is powerful to sanctify because it is not only the word of God, but it points to Jesus and his gospel by which we are sanctified. But I don't know about you, sometimes my mind and heart are dull and I need help. We need help to know the truth both intellectually in our brains, because it is important to know them in our brains, and we need help to know the truth experientially in our hearts or with our affections or with our emotions so that it can have its powerful effect deep in our hearts. So that leads to our last point, the help we have to understand the truth. Not only does Jesus pray to the Father for our sanctification and give himself for, the sanctifica- for our sanctification in the truth, but he also sends help. And he sends close and personal help. Just the kind I need. Just the kind I need. <clears throat> Without God's help, we'd all be basket cases, right? We need his help. Close, personal, really close, really personal. Help to understand and be changed by the truth. The kind of help we need requires an inside job. Not even just close and personal, but like an inside job. So he sends a divine helper to live within us. Pretty good deal, huh? And of course, this is the gift of the precious Holy Spirit. Now, full disclosure, okay? the Holy Spirit is not mentioned in this passage. I'm not, I'm not going to try to show you some tricky way to see the Holy Spirit mentioned in these three verses. Okay, he's not there. But I do think the Holy Spirit is presupposed and assumed. And the reason I say that is because John 17 is part of this larger passage where Jesus, remember John 13, Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. And then Jesus sits around, in John 14 to 16, Jesus is like sitting around this table and having this intimate conversation with the disciples And then after he's done in John 16, talking to his disciples, it says, after he said these things, he turned to the Father and prayed. And much of what Jesus taught his disciples in this intimate conversation was about the Holy Spirit. So, he gave instruction about the Spirit, and he called the Spirit. Do you remember what he called the Spirit? He called him the Helper. He also called him the spirit of truth. And what are we to be sanctified in? The truth. He is the spirit of truth, and he's given to live within us. Not just with us, but within us. Jesus said in John 14, verses 16 and 17, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. And then he goes on to say, you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. And what is the Holy Spirit's divine assignment? Jesus says in John 16, 13, and 14, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus said he's going to lead you and guide you into all the truth, and he's going to glorify me. 
He's going to take what belongs to me and he's going to... Some of the older translations say disclose it to you. I think it might be a better word to use. Disclose it to you. He's going to tell you the things about me. Isn't that what truth points to? It points to Jesus, right? God's word, the truth, ultimately points to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, to lead us and guide us into the truth which leads us to Jesus and the grace of God that is lavished upon us in Christ that transforms us from the inside out. The Spirit of truth takes the truth of God's word which points to Christ and he drives it deep into our hearts shaping and fashioning us in the likeness of Jesus. Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I want you to begin looking at and approaching the Bible differently than perhaps you have. I really do. Perhaps you have a view of the Bible that it is like a road map or an owner's manual. In fact, maybe you've heard both of those um, metaphors for the scriptures. If you view it like a road map, it might seem... Who uses maps anymore, right? Good job out of you. All right. Okay, we got some. I have this pet peeve, okay? Anyone 25 and under probably has never used a map, and I think that is to their detriment. Right? They're just waiting for Siri to tell them when to turn. (laughs) Going to the same place day after day after day for a year. Anyways, okay, I'll get off my soapbox here. All right, so maps aren't used very much anymore. They seem kind of archaic, kind of hard to read. We hope we're on the right path. We hope we haven't missed our turn. We hope we get to the right place. Right? People can have a view of Scripture that way. It's a roadmap. I'll make sure I just learn and I do and I believe and I understand and, and I hopefully I, if I don't miss my turn and stay on the right path that the Bible shows me to be on, then I'll end up in the right place. Or an owner's manual. It seems to put the burden on us and what we must do. Indeed, the Bible does give us much by way of wise instruction, which if we follow, it will help greatly. I'm without a doubt. But I think this approach to the Bible falls short. What if you approach the Bible instead like a waterfall? And the main objective was just to get underneath it. And it was a waterfall of grace. And once you found yourself underneath it, you just got in the flow of God's grace. And it just was coming down upon you. The emphasis would not be on you and what you must do, but on God and what he has done. The grace of God that comes through Christ as we expose ourselves to the truth, which points to Christ and his transforming grace goes deep within and begins to change us from the inside out. So it's no longer just behavior modification, but our hearts are transformed. God, I think, wants you to see his word this way. As grace coming to you in transforming power. 
Several of Paul's books begin with a little phrase. I didn't look up every one yesterday, but I think it's almost every one. Grace to you. He gives us greeting, right? Who he's writing to, and then he says grace to you. Maybe grace and peace to you. Something along those lines. He says grace to you. I actually love how First Peter, how Peter begins his first letter. First Peter chapter 1, I think it's verse 2. After he gives his greeting, he says this, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Why? Are those just throwaway words? Well, hopefully you believe nothing in the Bible is a throwaway word, but I think the reason the apostles, at least Paul and Peter, do that is because their writings, they believe their writings are the very words of God. Revelation about Jesus, spirit-inspired, God-breathed words, and that when they're read to the church at Philippi or Ephesus or to the people Peter's writing to, when they're read and when they're heard, grace is coming. Let me show you just, just very briefly and very practically how this works in connection with being sanctified in the truth with, with a few examples. I just want to get practical here. Would you agree that, that we are sent into the world to represent Jesus or to represent Jesus or represent him in the way that we love and serve and forgive? Is that... I think that's a safe thing, thing to say, right? I'm not talking about anything, anything uh, controversial here, okay? In the way that we love, in the way that we serve, in the way that we forgive. Let's think about this for a moment. Jesus sends us into the world, right? We live in this world. We're not to be of it, but we live in it, and he wants us to love. 1 John 4, 10, and 11 says this, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loves us, loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. In other words, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God we deserve. He propitiation for our sins. And then it says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So how, what does the Holy Spirit do? He takes this truth. What it, he takes unloving people. And he drives the gospel which reveals God's amazing love to us. Drives it deep into our hearts, tenderizes us, us, makes us loving and gracious and kind-hearted. And it changes us. So that verse 19 of 1 John 4 says, We love because he first loved us. And we can't love until our hearts are changed by his love. We will be selfish, rude, mean-spirited until his love goes deep and changes us at that deep level. Jesus says, sanctify them in that truth. In that truth. What about serving? I love this example. We may not be quite as outwardly obvious about our pride or thinking we're better than others. But I think 
most people struggle with this at some level at some point in their life. The disciples, you know, they, this isn't the first time. They are having this conversation about who's the greatest. And uh, James and John sent their mom to Jesus to say, to, so their mom could ask Jesus, hey, can, you, can my two sons sit at your right and left hand in, in your kingdom? And Jesus like, you don't, you have no clue what you're asking for. It's not for me to give. And, and Jesus turns to his disciples. It's a teaching moment, right? He says that the, lords of the, gen, the, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, the people. He says, it shall not be so with you. But if you want to be great, you must be a servant. And if you want to be the best or the greatest, you must be slave of all. And then he says this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. See how Jesus doesn't leave it at, just listen, if you want to be great, just, just serve. Just serve, 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 serve. He grounds it in the gospel. He points to what he is about to do. For even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and lay his life down to ransom us. So how do arrogant, proud people become humble servants? It's when the the Holy Spirit of God takes that truth. How do we become, how do we go from being people who expect everyone else to serve us to being, I walk into a room and I look at how I can serve? It's when the Spirit of God takes that truth, the Holy Spirit of truth, takes the truth that Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, God Himself came down, humbled Himself to serve. And drives it deep into our hearts. It's like this. You know, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. And and none of us in this room have or will have an experience like that, right? But in a sense, spiritually, we have. Because Jesus washed us by going low. And it's when that goes deeper into our hearts, and not just intellectual knowledge, it goes deeper into our hearts, we will be empowered by grace to be changed and served. Forgiving, one more, forgiving. We all have opportunities to forgive, don't we? We all have many opportunities to forgive. We've all been wronged and hurt and treated unjustly and um, ripped off, whatever. We've all had things happen to us where we have had an opportunity to forgive. And some have had enormous opportunities to forgive. How do we, how are we sanctified so that we are forgiving people? Ephesians 4.32 says this, be Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now, if it ended there, it'd be like, okay, that sounds hard, but it doesn't end there. It says, as God in Christ forgave you. As long as we see other people's debts that they owe us as mountainous, 
and our debt against God that he wiped clean as really small. We will be vindictive, embittered people because we all have people that we need to forgive. And so what is it? Jesus, or Paul, through the Holy Spirit, directs us to the forgiveness of God that we have received in Christ. Jesus prays that we would be sanctified in the truth. Sanctified in the truth of God's word that points us to Christ, which the spirit of truth takes and drives deep into our hearts, shaping and fashioning us into the likeness of Jesus himself. Now I got a question. Do we think that Jesus' prayer will go unanswered? I hope there's an enormous no way in your heart. No way. This is what Jesus prays for you, is that you would be sanctified in the truth. His word is the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth. And, and I, how could I do any better than just repeat the words of Jesus? Father, sanctify each one of us in the truth. Your word, O oh God, is truth. Send your spirit, the very spirit of truth, to lead us and guide us into the truth, to open up our eyes to see Christ. As we open up the scriptures, I pray that we would have, by your grace, a new way of seeing it, that grace is coming to us. It's a means of grace whereby your transforming grace comes to us as you show us the Savior. And we are changed. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing the truth so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So go in that today in Jesus' name.